Last week we finished our three-week series on uh, a quick series on when it's all said and done, the idea of um, the most important things that we can be about. And uh, this week we're going to start a series, uh, we're entitling it Anchored, uh, Practicing Hope When Things Seem Hopeless. Uh, if you have uh, signed up and are a part of these banners, Project 119, um, then you'll notice that all these readings uh, and these messages are coming from those uh, that project and from these readings. So we're trying to follow along with you in our messages. If you have not, if you don't know anything about this Project 119 or you're still interested in learning, we continue to hear great stories about what God is doing and in the hearts of minds of people during this daily uh, scripture study and, and learning time. Um, if you are uh, interested in that, you can certainly start uh, by connecting out in our connection point and, uh, and or emailing uh, frontdesk at theriversierc.com and um, Rachel will connect you with the program and help you, um, give you an opportunity to do some more learning. Um, we're going to pray before the message from Romans chapter 5, and the person who's praying for me is Savannah this morning. If you would come on up, Savannah. Um, Savannah is praying um, on your behalf that God works through our, my study and preparation, and that God shows up through his power and through his Holy Spirit to speak to our minds and our hearts. Hey, Savannah, can you pray for me? Yes. Awesome. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray for Pastor Scott that he does good, and I pray that he does good at praying today. And amen. amen. Awesome. Thank you, Savannah. Good job. So, if you can think of the name of a ship, yell it out. Name of a ship. Midway. The Midway. All right. I heard Midway. It's an aircraft carrier. Pretty big ship. Another ship. Anyone? Over here. I heard Titanic. Who said Titanic? What do you got back for me, Cam? What, what ship? The Titanic. Okay. Yeah. Big, big ship. Uh, somebody else. A, a, a ship name. What was that, Harold? The Arizona. Important ship in, the, uh, in uh, Pearl Harbor there. Remembering the attack of Pearl Harbor in December 7, 1941. Uh, another ship. Queen Mary, I heard over here. Queen Mary. There's, ships have a lot of different names. Right now, actually, in our country, some of our biggest ships, um, I heard this morning, actually, somebody was telling me about the cruise ship, the Disney Dream, because uh, apparently that's really important to them. Great. Awesome. Um, the biggest ships in our military, the aircraft carriers, were just about getting uh, ready to launch the uh, Gerald R. Ford. I, I think that's the name of this latest one. It's a president. Uh, obviously, it's uh, named after President Ford, but it's going to be the largest ship in the world um, when it gets launched. And I think it's about 18 months from actually um, being out and doing its uh, sea trials and stuff like that. But ships, they can have the name of like a person or Titanic is sort of a description, but we also get other important names. Um, we get names like the HMS Victory. Victory was a name of a ship in the a British Navy. Um, anybody know what the oldest commissioned ship in the U.S. Navy is? It's the USS 
Constitution, because that's an important thing that we want to think about, uh, that the Constitution is, is something that we as a country value. Um, we're going to have three-week series on the, some things, uh, important truths from God's Word. And what's interesting is this week, as I was looking at these three things, I looked them up and wondered if they were ship names, and all of them are. All of them are ship names throughout history. The three things that we're going to be talking about the next three weeks are perseverance, endurance, and strength. Characteristics that you want in a ship, right? And what's interesting is they name these ships after uh, some of the things that they hope that these ships experience. Endurance. It was actually a, a long distance dry dock that it would be able to go across um, oceans and help repair ships in other parts of the world. Uh, perseverance was a uh, actually a submarine hunter in World War II, and uh, the idea was that this big submarine that 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 uh, could cause damage, that this perseverance would chase after it, and not stop, and keep going until it found the submarine. Um, and endurance, endurance was another long distance ship. It's the idea that a ship name describes something that you want. We want these things, perseverance, endurance, strength. And this morning from Romans chapter 5, we want to think together a little bit about one of those traits. Romans chapter 5 is an important passage because it teaches us a number of different things, including a very important truth that we need to grab onto. We'll get to that right at the beginning of the text. Um, but it also teaches us how to live um, in many ways like we hope ships behave especially when it comes to perseverance. And this morning, that's really the focus. How do we persevere? How do we think about the struggles, the trials, the challenges that we face, and how do we persevere through them? We're going to jump into our text this morning, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. So when you read that, I hope, and I know for some of you, especially some of you really love theology, you're like hearing those verses and you're like really excited because it's such an important truth. In fact, it's actually sort of the hinge of a, of a doctrine. A doctrine is simply a very important teaching of the church. We really want people to understand this. This is the doctrine of justification. One of those big words, it's in the text there. Justification is this idea. It's an important one. Fundamental, actually. That when God looks at you, Instead of seeing you and I in our sin, our brokenness, and our foolishness, when we know the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So God doesn't hold our sins against us because God looks at us and he sees Jesus instead. It means we are justified before God. This is an important truth for you to understand. It is the, 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 the great gift as soon as grace is established and God, God gives us his grace in our life. It's God's great gift to us because it means that we are now in relationship with him. 
Because God, God's holy, right? We all agree with that, right? God is a holy God. We, uh, Moses said that often when he was talking to God's people, how holy God was. God is holy. And holiness can't stand sin. So when God looks at people who do not know the grace of Christ, unfortunately, he looks simply at them and sees their own brokenness. And, and he sees their own sin. He sees their own foolishness. But when he looks at those who know the grace of Christ, he looks at them and sees Jesus. It changes everything. It changes that relationship from one of rejection to one of acceptance and love. And you'll notice that there's nothing in here about behavior. You can't fix this yourself. You can't be good enough. You and I are not capable of what we would say, earning God's grace. It's a gift of God through Jesus Christ. Now, certainly that's a hard thing to fathom. You're you're telling me, Pastor Scott, that I cannot do anything to make God love me any more than he already does. And the answer to that question is, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm also telling you that you cannot do anything to make God's love for you any less. You cannot go out of this place and sin so badly that God won't love you. Because that's not the nature of God's love for his people. That's not the nature of his grace. That's why it is such an amazing, powerful, incredible thing and a fundamental truth for us to grasp onto. Living in that grace, a free gift of God that we cannot earn, starts us on this journey of understanding more about perseverance, hope, and joy. But let's keep reading verse 2. Second part of that says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces, there it is, perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, if we look at this section, these three verses... It helps us understand more about this hope that we long for in our lives. And what we see as we look at these, these, these verses is that there's really two roads that we experience at the same time as we journey towards hope. One is passive. We see it right near the end when it says this in verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We see here that God has given us his presence. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that God is with me, that gives me hope. But the reality of it is I do not do anything. I'm, I'm passive in that. I receive it from God. So God shows up in me through the Holy Spirit, which he has given those who know his grace. But then there's another side of it. And this other side is not passive. It's not about just receiving. It's also active. Let's go back and we'll look at that. It says in verse 3, it says this, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
So we see this truth that suffering sort of uh, starts our understanding here. And we all know that if you live in this world in 2016, that you're going to experience suffering of some kind, right? You all know that. I hope you do. Your life will never be perfect or ideal. Yes, well, you'll have times where things are better than others. You'll have times where you will experience uh, some great things. And I'm looking at some of you and I know your stories. You're experiencing wonderful stuff. But I also know that if you live long enough, you will also experience pain. I know those stories too in here. I know, I know the stories of people who are continuing to walk through sickness, things like cancer. There are people here this morning who have recently buried loved ones, people they care about deeply. There are marriages here in this room at risk right now. That's suffering. You are a citizen of the United States and Tuesday is coming. You are going to experience suffering. Because we continue to walk through this crazy, crazy environment for trying to have any sort of constructive dialogue. So we know that we will experience suffering. The question is, how do we walk through that, right? Because you and I both know that there are people in our world who experience suffering just like you and I do. But what do they say? They say, I give up. I quit. I want nothing more to do with it. This is too hard. It hurts too much. I'm going to find some way to avoid it. I'm going to find some way in the bottom of a bottle, at the end of a needle, maybe in running away, maybe in something that eases the pain, sometimes even death. That people can't persevere. Suffering comes, but what does the Bible say? It says the next step is perseverance. But perseverance is one of those things that, that does something while we live into it. It produces, what does it say, what does the text say that it produces? It produces, what does it produce? Character. Okay, so what might it produce? Well, think about this. So if you are um, going through cancer, some of you know that journey. What often happens as you go through the process of treatment, chemo, navigating the challenges of what sort of choices you're going to make, one of the things that I'm always struck is the strength that that produces in people. Not physical strength, but strength of mind. This sense that um, I can get through this. I'm strong enough. So if you want strength and you pray for strength, what may happen to you in order for you to get strength? Suffering. Why? Because suffering is what produces strength. If, if you want peace, peace is one of those things that is produced often through the perseverance of suffering. Because what peace says is that no matter what craziness, no matter what storms are going on around me, no matter what condition my world is in, I will sit here and I will say, it is well with my soul. That's a choice. That's active. 
And so for us to acknowledge that God is with us, passive gift of God, he's present with us in the challenges that we face regardless, but that even though he is present with us, we still have choices to make. I will choose how I live into my sufferings and acknowledge that in choosing how I do it, that that work that God does through that process will change me and move me from suffering to perseverance to character, and ultimately, what's the last one? Hope. I don't know about you, but hope seems to be a very rare commodity in our world. You, you talk to people all the time who they're consumed by this fear of the future, fear of what's coming next, their fear of, of whatever the circumstances are. And what God is telling us here in his word is that we, we want all of us. You want hope, right? You want it, right? You want hope. Then how we walk through today, this moment, these experiences that we go through with the presence of God that he has given us in his passive gift that we have received, how we walk that through moves us to a place of hope because we see God at work making a stronger character. It means you don't give up. It means you don't quit. I was just in Michigan for some meetings, and I, I was not there with Kristen. Uh, she stayed home to manage uh, the stuff with the kids, and so I was there as a, as a uh, person on my own, which means that when you go to dinners, people who are in charge of the seating charts for those dinners just shove you in wherever because you're a single and you'll, you'll sort of fill in the table. So I ended up getting the shorn end of the stick a couple times, but on this one more particular meal, um, I ended up sitting beside, well, it was a challenging meal because of who I sat beside, um, what I was struck by sitting at this table was that there were two women at this table going through the exact same experience in life. One was probably in her late 60s, early 70s. The other one was in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. But they were going through what in essence was the exact same journey. And this particular experience, this particular journey was fraught with challenges, was fraught with sometimes pain, was fraught sometimes with suffering and burdens, and sometimes it was really hard. And so I was struck by these two women that had gone through the exact same journey, but really separated maybe by a generation to do, a generation or two. But what I was struck by was how different the experience had made the two of them from each other. The first one, the younger uh, woman uh, in her late 20s, early 30s again, um, who was going through this experience said, yeah, oh yeah, there's sometimes that this is really hard. Sometimes, sometimes this hurts. I have some pain. I have some scars in my heart um, from this thing. But I'm going to choose to believe that God is at work here. And I trust that what will happen in the future and what God will do through all this will give him greater glory. And I will trust that he has a plan for me, a plan to prosper me and not to harm me, a plan for a hope in my future. I will live into that plan. She had really what in essence was joy in the experience of her challenge. Now I was sitting beside this other woman and unfortunately that was the thing. I was sitting directly beside her. And within a moment or two, I would use one word to describe this woman. Bitter. 
She was bitter. She had gone through the similar journey of this other woman. She had gone through the experience, but what had happened is instead of persevering, instead of seeing God developing character in her, instead of coming to a place of hope, she had stopped somewhere in the process and allowed the wounds to overwhelm her, allowed the, the burden, allowed the suffering to consume her. And really what it sat there, I sat there and I listened to for about an hour and a half as I heard Oh, woe is me. Do you know anyone like that? Are you sitting with someone like that? The reality of it is, that is oftentimes a natural response. There are some people whose lives have been painful and hard and a struggle. Maybe that's your life. Maybe that's your experience. And you and I, we know God is with us. I would have asked both of these women, do you know God is with you? Yes, I know God is with you. Why? Because he promised me that he would be with me. The reality of it is that they had actively chosen to walk through that process in a very different way with the net result being one experiencing hope and joy and the other one stunted in her bitterness. Friends, are you going to experience suffering? Are you? You got a choice to make. You're going to become bitter? Are you going to be that woman at that table? Because if you are, I don't want to sit with you next time. (laughs) I want to sit with the other lady. Because she has something to teach me. She has something that I can be in, I can invest in and think about and wonder about because she has learned that lesson in a way that continues to shape and form a joyful life. Friends, suffering is here. How we walk through it with God's presence around us is some, some of the choice that we make. Continue reading verse six. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for that. Really listen to that statement. It's an absolutely incredible statement to make. Because here's what it's saying. Alejandro, Christ died for you even before your life was together. Even when it was still a mess. Jim, you too. Stuart, you too. Even while your life was still a mess, Christ died for you. He didn't look at your and my life and say, oh yeah, I died for you when, oh, you started studying the Bible. He didn't die for you when you started praying to him. He didn't die for you when you started figuring it out and making better choices about the people that you hung out with. He didn't die for you when you changed the schedule on your Friday nights to not involve that behavior with those people doing those things, but instead doing different things. He died for you while you were still a mess. And there are those of you who will say to me, I've known Christ my entire life. I've never not lived in relationship with him. And I'll agree with you, except to say that there are parts of you, because I have those parts too, 
that rejected God. That later on in the text, we hear enemy. I was an enemy of God, even in my behavior. Why? Because I want to do it on my own. I want to be independent. I want to go my own way. And even while I was that foolish doofus, God said to, God said to Jesus, you're going to earth now. And you're going to earth for that guy. That foolish, rebellious, independent doofus. Jesus looked at me. I wonder if he said, are you sure? He didn't. He said, okay, Lord. Okay, Father. God said, because he's one of mine. And he does it with you and me, all of us. While you were still sinners, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So if that's the case, then how do I look at the world around me, right? How do you look at the broken people in your life? And you know them. You know them. Some of you, you see the television commercials for right now. You look at those people, you look at those things, you look at those contexts, and you say, boy, that's an evil person. Boy, that's wrong. That person is so outside of God's love. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. How can you and I not possibly say that about every single person that we come in contact with? How can we sit back and say, they're too far gone? Because guess what? You, I, all of us were too far gone too. But God still did it. Because his love, his grace, his power to transform is so big. So when you and I look at the world of everyone that we come in contact with, each one of them is a potential grace receiver. Understand that. It means that that characteristic that you hear all the time from my lips, from Nick's lips, from our paperwork, from our vision statement, from our mission statement, we want to live into because we want to be people of love. Love is the most powerful thing on the planet. Why? Because God's love moved Jesus to come to earth so that we might know grace. It changed everything. So for us to understand, to go out into this world that we live in, to love, to see what God's power can do through us. That's fundamental. That's what we want to be marked by. That's what I want to be marked by because Christ did it for me even while I was a mess. Friends, that's when when we say at the end of the day, when we say at the end of the service, we send you out when we go out from here. We go out from here carrying the most powerful tool that God could ever give us, and that is the gift of love to people who don't necessarily deserve it. Because you and I got it that way. He says, go and do likewise. Let's finish up the text. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, 
How much more, having been reconciled, should we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So you and I have this truth Truth of how we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to God, justified, remember at the beginning? And then God calls us to rejoice in our sufferings because by rejoicing in our sufferings and his presence with us, it produces character and our perseverance produces character and then hope. And within that hope, we learn how to live a life of joy. And we are reminded that that is a gift that God gave to us, even while we were still a mess and broken. And now we understand that that reconciliation, that reconciliation that God has given us through Jesus Christ, it has power, power to transform how we experience our everyday existence, if we but let it says, truth we live into when suffering, pain, sickness, politics, sin, etc. causes us fear and doubt and can overwhelm us. We don't stop living in obedience to Christ, but we always know no matter what happens, the future is in Christ is sure. We are reminded that someday is coming. Someday is coming. It came actually this past week came on Wednesday night, right? Someday came. How long? 108 years. 108 years without a championship. How many of you are Cubs fans, like died in the blue Cubs fans, like for real? No, don't give me, I started to be a Cubs fan on Tuesday night. Don't give me that. I'm talking real deal, all right? I saw a couple of those. There were a couple of those in church actually this morning. Uh, in the first service. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm related to one. My brother-in-law is a Cubs fan, and oh, he's irritating. He's irritating for a lot of reasons, but that too. I, I was at, when I was at my meetings in Michigan, it wasn't chaired by a Cubs fan, but the person, the, the president of, of Calvin Seminary is a, is a huge Cubs fan, and he's irritating about it too. And it's, he's, he's a Cubs fan, his father was a Cubs fan, and his grandfather was a Cubs fan. Did, did you actually hear the story of the man who um, took a radio drive, drove 500 miles to listen to Game 7 with his dad at his father's grave? because they were such dyed-in-the-blue Cubs fans. I mean, this is, it's an amazing story of all these Cubs fans and how they've behaved through all this thing. But someday came, right? Harry Carey used to say, he used to say, as sure as God made green apples, someday the Cubs will be in the World Series, and they might even win it. And this past Wednesday, someday came. Someday came. The Cubs can no longer say we haven't won a World Series for 108 years. They are reigning World Series champions. And that's, I mean, I want to celebrate with them, and that's great and everything. But, you know, the reality of it is that 108 years really isn't that long. It really isn't. Why? Because the kingdom of God has been waiting 2,000 years for someday to come. A someday that hinges on our hope. 
A someday that hinges on our persevering. A someday that we have to live in the truth of something that we cannot see. We, we believe that Christ will come again. We believe that all of this will be fixed. We believe that all of this will be redeemed. But that takes faith, right? It takes perseverance. 2,000 years the church has been persevering. But I'm here to tell you today, just like Wednesday night for a Cubs fan, someday came, someday's coming. It's a real day. It's a real time. It's a real truth. And for you to understand that despite the sufferings you are experiencing, despite the pain that is there, despite the challenges that are going on in your life, and I'm sure there are many, that no matter what, as you persevere, and God builds character in you, and Lord willing, that character moves to hope, that hope is based upon the truth that the one who gave us this gift has more gifts to give. And the gift that is coming is a gift of eternity in his presence, where there's no more suffering anymore. There's no more sickness. Your cancer or the cancer of your family or your friend or your coworker is gone. It doesn't exist anymore because cancer will not exist in the kingdom of God. There will be no more death. That person that you mourn, the tears that you cry, that person that you missed, that won't even be on your radar because you will be in the presence of the living God with all of his people. For us to be reminded that someday is coming and it's a real time, a real thing, a real day, as surely as the Cubs won the World Series on Wednesday night. We believed in that. They believed in that. And we can too. We can trust in this. The table says at the front, do this in remembrance of me. But when Jesus actually had the meal, you know what he said? He said, this is actually just a taste. It's a taste of the meal to come. Someday's coming. And I can't wait for it to arrive. Let's pray together. Hope of the world in Jesus Christ. We are reminded constantly that you do love us. You have given us your presence. We know you are with us. Sometimes it's hard to feel that. Sometimes, Lord, it's easier than others, but we know it is true. Lord, may that give us strength. May that be something we persevere in so that you might grow your character traits in us. We might move to a place of hope. Hope that is founded on the truth that your love is real. Your love has changed us. And your love promises a future that we can't even imagine because of just how good it is. Father, I pray for those people who are here, those people who are struggling, those burdens that they carry. Father, I pray that you give them the strength through your presence to persevere despite their pain. Comfort them, encourage them. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that your, your character is built and they can come to a place, despite difficult things, to even joy. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do in us. We pray that you do it today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.